Okay. If you remember last week, we said 12 is a very pivotal chapter. Remember the first word of chapter 12? First word of chapter 12? We're going to look it up. Zehabainini, right. Because we were speaking about the levels of Tzadik and Rasha. And then in distinction to Tzadik and Rasha, chapter 12 says, Vahabainini and the Bainini, he's not a Tzadik, he's not a Rasha. And we started to explain that. And if you remember last week, where did we leave off? We left off with the Alter Rebbe introducing the principle of Hamayach Shalat Alalev, which is one of the main ideas in Tanya. <clears throat> and it's a complex idea, which we are going to explore further, and its meaning will be somewhat fluid. But at this point, at this point, what it means, what Mayach uh, Shalat means is impulse control. Simple inhibition. You have an impulse and you curb your impulse. So we explain that the Benini has the temptations that a Russia has, but behaviorally he's impeccable. He is perfectly in control. Okay? I think we left off. That's what we ended off with. Right. We said, we said that it's native and it's innate and inborn. And we went a few more lines. And I think we got to the place where we said he can avert his mind from the, from the temptation. And not only to avert his mind from it, but then to fixate on the exact opposite. He can go think about something holy. And I think <clears throat> that's where we got up to, to that word, El. Hatzad Hakadusha, or Hakadusha. He can he can avert his mind to the holy side. Okay, and then I kind of stopped in an awkward spot because the next word is Kidichsi, which is the scriptural proof for the statement that we made at the end of last week. So the scriptural proof for the statement we made that he is able. The statement, the assertion is that he is able to control himself. And the scriptural proof for that is Shlaima Melech, Varaisi Shiyesh Yisrin Lachachwamina Sichlos, Kiyisan Oymanachishik. I saw, said King Solomon, that there's an advantage of wisdom over folly, <clears throat> like the advantage of light over dark. As we used to say in the 80s, no duh. Why does this take the wisdom of King Solomon to tell us that wisdom is better than foolishness? And that light is better than dark. Okay, because Solomon is saying something very precise here. He's not just saying, you know how light's better than dark? Oh yeah, wisdom's better than uh, foolishness. He's actually explaining the manner in which wisdom has superior superiority over foolishness, which is similar to the mechanics of how light asserts its dominance over darkness. When light has to push off or replace darkness, it's not like, you know, let's say you come into the you, to, to this room. This is the upstairs, right? This is the top floor of, of, of Chabad here in the five towns. So in the in the summer, it's hot up here because heat rises. And if, no, if the AC wasn't on, yeah, it's really hot in here. And you turn on the AC, and it's loud, and by, it, so you can't hear it for the whole class. And it's hot the whole class. And at the end of the whole class, it's cool. And then you turn off the AC, so the next person can come up here and choke on the heat, right? Okay. Yeah, we're still on 12. Yeah. So my point is, if the room is hot and you turn on the AC, it takes a while for it to. You know, they told me, the HVAC guys, that when you're moving air around the house, it's like moving water. You gotta imagine how how long would it take to fill a pool the size of this room to fill it up with water? Well, that's like filling up with air. And then conversely, you know uh, how the air escapes and all that. Okay, anyways, we're gonna have an HVAC uh, workshop after the Tanya class. <laughs> At any rate, the point is, it takes a while, right? Takes a while? Okay. Let's say the room is full of darkness, and I want to replace the darkness with light. How long is it going to take to get the room full of light? Immediately. Right? 
That's the nature of light. That's why we use light as a byword, as a uh, as a metaphor for spirituality and for chachma and clarity and holiness. One of the reasons that light is a go-to metaphor is because of this property of light, that when light dispels darkness, it does it without any hisaskus. There's no engagement. Hisaskus means engagement. It doesn't have to grapple with the darkness. It just automatically replaces the darkness. So watch what he says here. Pirush, the explanation of what Shlaim Malach was saying is, just like light has a certain superiority and dominance and uh, power over dark, in what respect? Shema'at oir, that just a tiny bit of light, gashmi, physical light, we're speaking in the metaphor now, pushes off a lot of darkness, that the darkness gets pushed off, he says, automatically and, and, and on its own. Again, there's no engagement required, it's just an automatic thing. Once the light is in the room, the darkness disappears. It's not like, oh, where are we going to put the dark? Oh, fold up the dark and put it away in the closet. Roll it up. I don't know. Put it in a pile in the corner. You don't have to do that. The dark, like, if you're trying to get rid of something and replace it with something else, where are you going to put that thing? How, how are you going to push it away? How, how quickly can you move it? Where are you going to, can, do you have to smoosh it up? Can, can you sweep it under the rug? With light and dark, it doesn't work that way. You, it's, we take it for granted because we've done it thousands of times. We flip the light switch thousands of times. But the second you turn on the light, the darkness disappears. You don't have to figure out, oh, how are we going to get rid of the dark? Oh, no. Hold on a second. I got all this light here. Delivery at the door from light. Did you, oh, hold on a second. We're not ready for the light because we got to get rid of the dark. Hold on a second. Push the dark uh, out in the backyard. We'll bring in the light. Nobody has to do that. Nobody has to do Why? Because... The very nature of the light is the second that the light hits, the darkness disappears. You're taking it for granted. You're saying, what well, about uh, power outages? yeah, what about power outages? If there's no power outages, come on, what? light a candle. Yeah. Flashlight. <sighs> the point is that when you have light, you do not have to even think about what to do with the dark. I know that that's a painfully obvious statement that is so painfully obvious, it may not even be possible for us to fathom its depth. It's so simple that it becomes complex. But think about it. I'm trying to belabor this point. When you have one thing that you want to get rid of and replace with another thing, usually you have to figure out what are you going to do with the old thing to make room for the new thing. And with light, you don't have to do that. Does everyone follow this? So why is this important? Because we're not talking about light. We're talking about wisdom and foolishness. And when you want to get rid of the foolishness and replace it with the wisdom, you don't have to figure out what to do with the foolishness. You just turn on the wisdom and the foolishness disappears. Okay. So oh. is it that the dark is a constant? And when you put light on it, it, it overshadows the darkness. And then when you take the light away, the dark comes down again. So dark is a constant. I don't know. It's an interesting uh, question how to look at it. You're, look, you're saying as a default. Um, you could view it that way, yeah. With the lack of any, if you if you if you're completely passive, then the default state will be darkness. Yeah, that's probably true. If you don't do anything, you're going to be foolish. Right, Takes a little effort, but that's the whole point. It takes a little effort doesn't take a tremendous amount of effort to replace the foolishness with the wisdom. So that's his point here, is basically means you have foolishness, which is the temptations of the Nefshabamis, and you want to override them with the 
clarity of the nefeshalakis, and you may think of it in terms of some prolonged procedure, and he's saying, no, actually, it's instantaneous. Yeah. Let's continue here. Kach, so too, here's the analog. Much foolishness is dispelled. <clears throat> Much foolishness from the clip in the sitra is dispelled from the left ventricle of the heart. And he says in parentheses, unless a spirit of foolishness has entered him. That is the saying of our sages. When a person does an Aveda, it's called a ruach shtos, a spirit of foolishness. So how do you get rid of the spirit of foolishness? Well, we said, you just turn on the light, and the light will automatically replace the dark. Because the chokhma from the nefesh alakis that's in his brain, so that's going to replace the foolishness of the animal soul, which is in the left ventricle of the heart. Now he speaks a little bit more about the chachma of the nefesh alakis, which is in the brain. And we know that that's uh, where it is. We know that from chapter 9. Sounds familiar from chapter 9? That the, the godly soul wants to have exclusive dominion over the city, meaning you. And it wants to invest itself in the three garments. Remember, thought, speech, and action. It wants to invest itself in the entirety of the body, not just compartmentalized. Shaheim, let's spell it out, which are namely the thought, speech, and action, which kind shall like we said in chapter three or chapter 4, I'm sorry, like we said in chapter 4, the thought, speech, and action of the godly soul are thought, speech, and action of Torah and mitzvahs. So that's what the godly soul wants. It just wants that all of our limbs and all of our three garments should be exclusively dedicated to Torah and mitzvahs. And the way that that is achieved is as simple as flipping on a light switch. So let me pause here and review what we've said so far, because the next sentence is sort of a um, another another thought. What we've said is, chapter 10, we introduced somebody called a uh, tzaddik, who has no requirement for impulse control, because he has no, effectively, at least he has no uh, yetzahara. In chapter 11, we introduced the rasha, who has imperfect impulse control and has intermittent regret about his lack of impulse control. Chapter 12, we said there's somebody who has the need for impulse control because he ain't no tzaddik, but he has no regret like Arasha because he has perfect impulse control. And how does he manage this? How does he manage that perfect impulse control? He makes use of this inborn trait called Mayach Shaltalalev. And how does Mayach Shaltalalev work? As automatically as light replaces darkness. Okay? That's what we said so far. Now, let's continue here. The Afalpikein and nevertheless, notwithstanding what we have just told you about the perfection of this Bainanese behavior, and we've, what we're about to say, we've we've said earlier. He's going to say it again. Notwithstanding the perfection of this Bainanese behavior, nevertheless, a tzaddik klal. He is not called a tzaddik at all. Not at all. A little bit? No, not at all. How much of a tzaddik? Zero. Zero. He's not called a tzaddik at all. Why not? He's perfect. He's perfect. Why don't you call him a tzaddik? No, he does perfect. Not he is perfect. He does perfect. Do you know how much work it takes to be this beautiful? You think I roll out of bed in the morning looking like this? <laughs> no, that's what the baby is saying. 
that's what the Bengalese say. If you knew what went into this, you would understand. I'm not a tzaddik. Yeah, tzaddik. What's a tzaddik? You want to do a home test to see if you're a tzaddik? <laughs> For 24 hours, any impulse that arises to your mind, any urge whatsoever, just immediately act on it without any judgment, without any filter. And if for 24 hours nothing comes out but mitzvahs, you're a tzaddik. So, right, moving on. <clears throat> okay, chain yourself to the radiator before you <clears throat> start that experiment. So the Bainley says, listen, yeah, my behavior is perfect, but you think that that's, that that's not the result of an incredible amount of internal work? Of course I have to work at this because... I do have the temptations that that Russia has. Watch what he says here. And nevertheless, this Bainini cannot be called a tzaddik at all, at all, because this advantage or dominion that the light of the godly soul has over the darkness and foolishness of the of the klipa, which automatically gets displaced, as we said. That dominion, it's only on the level of garments. Yeah, on the soul garment, remember, thought, speech, and action. On the level of the modes of expression, yeah, perfection. But go behind that. Look behind everything that goes into managing those perfect soul garments, and you're going to see a lot of imperfection. So the outward expression is perfect. But everything that went into producing that end product is a lot of grappling with internal conflict. Yeah. So he's only got dominion on the level of the three soul, soul garments. The essence of the godly soul doesn't have control over the essence of the animal soul. By essence over here, what does he mean? Essence is a relative term. But here, mahusavatsmusa here means, we're translating it as, as essence, um, relative to the garments. In other words, think about it like this. My garments, thought, speech, and action, which we learned about in chapter 4, that's just what I do. That's what I project. That's what I put out there. And I can exert a fair amount of, well, he says here, not a fair amount. Uh, I can completely control that output. Okay. But that's just what you end up seeing of me. That's not really what's, that's not everything that's going on inside of me. What's going on inside of me, <clears throat> that's the seichel and the midas that we learned about in chapter 3, right? That my perceptions and my emotional reactions. So what he's saying is you have the, the soul garments, which is the outer expression, and then you have what he's calling musa, the essence of the soul, which is its inner workings, namely its seichel and midas, its perceptions and emotions. So he's, he's describing a person <clears throat> who... On, on the outer level, the superficial level, which means behaviors, he's maintaining perfection. But inwardly, what he calls mahusava atzmusa, the essence of the souls, plural, are very much engaged in a conflict. Right. And there's no perfection at all. It's very imperfect and... Uh, and fraught with, 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 with conflict and distraction and temptation and outwardly doesn't look like that. What? And that's why it's not a tzaddik. And that's why it's not a tzaddik. Yeah. Okay, it's an interesting question we're asking here. But the levels, nefesh, ruach, neshama, yeah, nefesh, ruach, neshama, chayi, yechida. So I'm going to answer, it's a very good question. I'm going to answer on the most simple level, on the most simple functional level. Everything, everything has a counterpart in order to give it 
adequate resistance for the purpose of free will. So this is an oversimplified answer, but on every level of the godly soul, there is some type of a counterbalance or counterpoint coming from the other side. That's a simplified answer. Okay. Obviously, and this is what you're alluding to, there are certain advantages that a godly soul has. It simply reaches higher than an animal soul can. It, the answer to both ways to ask the question is yes. <laughs> but for practical purposes, there's, <clears throat> there's a counterbalance on, ev on every level. And in fact, one of my favorite sikhs from the Rebbe is about, and this is a, it's a Pesach sikha, the need for Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, the need to have an exodus on every single level of the soul that the nefesh can be in Mitzrayim, and the ruach can be in Mitzrayim, and the neshama can be in Mitzrayim, the chaya can be in Mitzrayim, and even, and this is actually a machlekes between Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Eliezer, but Rabbi Akiva says that even the yechida can be in Mitzrayim and require a yetzias Mitzrayim. And it was, it's one of my favorite sikhs, maybe we'll learn it really sometime. Cool, yeah. It's okay. very cool. Yeah, maybe some other time. <laughs> yeah, we got to, maybe we'll start maybe us. Maybe after your 30 letters. And maybe after 30 letters, yeah. yeah. 30 30. 30letters30days.com. Okay. Um, okay. So, on the level of behavior, everything's perfect. Wow. Everything's perfect. But then you go deeper and you look on the level of what he calls atzmusa muhusa, or muhusa atzmusa, the essence of the soul, meaning its inner workings, its seichel and vidas, the intellect and the emotions. Uh, over there, you got two sets of intellect and emotions who are diametrically opposed and have totally different worldviews, and there's a real clash. You'd never know it from the outside. You'd never know it watching the guy. If you would watch him, what would you think he is? Tzadik, for sure. But if you'd have to spend one day in his head, one minute maybe, you'd say, whoa, this guy's got, got conflict. Okay. Um... Because the essence of the animal soul in the left ventricle of the heart has not been displaced at all. I'm stressing that word, at all. It has not been displaced at all. On a behavioral level, it's completely displaced, like the displacement of darkness before light the moment you turn on the switch. But on the inner level, meaning on the level of Intellect and emotion. When I say intellect and emotion over and over again, what do I mean? I mean, I, intellect means I have one way of looking at reality, and then I have another whole way of looking at reality, and they're competing for which one is the truth. And then emotion means I have one way of feeling about things, meaning what am I attracted to? What do I desire? What do I value? What do I ch cherish? And then boom, right there, inside one and the same person, a whole other set of, of values and predilections and desires, and they're very much in conflict and in competition. So that has not been displaced at all, not at all whatsoever, he says. Okay. Um, yeah. Oh, he adds two more words. Remember we said before that the Bainini, when he's davening, he has a little reprieve. Yeah, yeah. So he gets some relief from yeah. that inner conflict during the davening. So what it says, he adds these two words, achra because during davening, achra means after, after prayer, because during prayer, it does vanish as if it's not there, and he has a tzaddik-like rest. But uh, after davening, boom, comes right back, comes right back. He loses, <clears throat> he loses it, and he no longer has this glowing coal-fire-like love for Hashem in the right ventricle. Ki'im, but rather, what does he have? Toichei rotsuv ava misuteris. He just has the inner lining of the heart um, coated with latent love. She ava hativish v'nefesh olakis kemeshiz bar lakamon. Like we'll explain later, there's an, an uh, he calls it ava hativis. Avativus means it's just natural. You know, like a bird knows how to fly south for the winter and a beaver know how, knows how to build a dam. 
<clears throat> and all that stuff. So the, the Nefesh Elikis knows how to love Hashem. It's not that he created it through meditation, but uh, it's it's the love that the Nefesh Elikis naturally has for Hashem. So that remains there, but it's kind of low-key and in the background, and uh, it's not like glowing coal fires, which is the state that he's able to attain while he's davening. Okay, um, so then in this post-davening state, where all he's left with is let's call it a remnant of love for Hashem. Doesn't he doesn't have it in in full blaze anymore after davening? So then, as I then after davening, yeah, then the foolishness of the fool, meaning the, the animal soul, can come back in his left ventricle and start jabbering away. And it's going to start making him feel lusts for material things of this world. Whether of a permissible nature or even, God forbid, of a forbidden nature. As if he never davened. It. It's like, yeah, boom. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, five minutes ago, I, I, I thought that I would never desire seven layer cake ever again i felt like i was free forever yeah. we use euphemisms over here so i thought i was free forever and then uh, i took off my tefillin and i walked out into the street and bam just like i never davened yeah okay that's that's the condition of the bain okay all right now he explains however i want you to understand that even after davening, when he's back in his conflicted state, and he's being beset by the temptations and the distractions again, I want you to understand, though, the limits of that, because I don't want you to think that now um, he's actually on the brink of sinning. We, we, we said at the beginning of the chapter, chapter 12, that loyaver loylam, a bainini is never going to sin. So I don't want you to get this, this image. Even though he's conflicted, I don't want you to think he's on the brink of sinning. In other words, you have to... You have he's to, just conflicted. He's just conflicted. Right. In other words, you know, on Yom Kippur, you may feel hungry. doesn't mean you're going to eat. You say, oh, darn, I wish I could eat. You're going to really eat because you want to... You're not going to really do it, but I'm, I might feel it. I might notice it. I might even be upset about it. You're not supposed to. Obviously, you're supposed to be davening in Kippur. You're not even supposed to notice you're hungry. But it could happen. It could happen. You could be sitting there being like, how long is this going to go on? I'm getting really bored. I'm really tired. Okay, ideally, no, you're inspired, Yom Kippur. But could it happen? The person will sit there and be like, hey, I wish I could speed this thing up here already. Yeah, he could He could think that. Now, does it mean he's going to really go eat? No, it doesn't mean he's going to eat. Not even, not even, a, not even a, a possibility that he's going to eat. So think about it like that. He says like this. If he does think about a prohibited thing, it doesn't come up in his mind like something he would actually do. It's not like he's actually entertaining it as a, an actual option. It's just that he has feelings, and those feelings will, will pop up. He could have what we call hirhure yavera, call it fantasizing, or the impulse for fantasizing. Uh, it, could, it could pop up in his brain and distract him from teira and, and aveda, meaning learning and davening. Uh, I should explain, though, because last week we made a whole long point about the difference between machshava and machshava mamish. So <clears throat> when I say it pops up in his brain, I really mean it just pops up. Because if he then welcomes it in and says, Oh, this is what we're fantasizing about right now. Not that I would, I would no, I would never do it. I would never do it. I just want to imagine doing it. Then he's not abandoning because that that was willful. That was a behavior, albeit a behavior that takes place within his own head. But that's a behavior. We're not talking about where he welcomes it and says, "Hey, I'm not really doing it. Why can't I just daydream about it?" No, we're not saying that. What we're saying is the impulse or the the urge to think about it will. Will arise. One, I just want to finish off this one uh, sentence. Our sages say there are three things that a person is not safe from every day. One of them 
is Yuhur Aveda. The other one is Iyun Tfila. They both have to do with mind control. And it doesn't mean, that the, again, it doesn't mean he's fantasizing or daydreaming about sins, God forbid, because then he wouldn't be obeying me, because that's a willful behavior. But what it does mean is that <clears throat> the notion will occur to him, and then he'll have to dismiss it. Yeah? Sorry, just he just says the two of them. He just says two of the three. What are they? The, the, I think the third one's Lush and Hada. So, what were the other two? I, I think the third one's Lush and Hada. Yeah. But he only mentions the, the, the two of them. What were the two? What well, we just read. Hiro Vera and Iun Tfila. <clears throat> Right, that's what we were saying. Right. The innate power that the brain has. You just say, no, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. Yeah. Okay. We spoke about this last week, but it's worth repeating. Thought, real thought, is most certainly a garment just as much as speech and action. But there's something that we sort of sloppily, uh, mistakenly equate with thought, and it's not thought, it's an impulse for thought. I think maybe it's helpful, I think maybe it's helpful to think about it like this. Just like there's the impulse for an action and there's an action, you know, you're driving down the freeway and you think, oh, what would happen if I would veer into oncoming traffic? And don't lie and say you never had intrusive thoughts, okay? Okay, we're all crazy, and right, but that there's a difference between thinking what would happen if I would be in the oncoming traffic and actually doing it. There's a big difference. Okay. So that's easy. That's easy to understand that distinction. Hold, hold on, hold on. Yeah, that's easy to understand that distinction. Okay. Now let's go one. Hmm? Because it can be easily dismissed. Because it's an impulse. All impulses can be easily dismissed because my ashalta alay. Okay. Now let's go one notch. Let's go one notch. Let's one layer deeper. Let's say um, you have an impulse to say something. You know, well, actually, there's a, you know, like, uh, <laughs> I don't know, I was thinking about a cruel cutting remark, but I don't even want to make the joke. No, 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 no. <laughs> you know, haven't seen you around lately. Well, actually, there's a darn good reason for that, right? Like, and then you realize, that like no, that's not nice, and then you like, you censor, you censor that line, right? So you could understand there's an impulse for speech, and then there's actually saying it, right? So that's that's an obvious distinction. Okay. Okay. Now just go one layer deeper. There's an impulse for thought, but it's not yet real thought. Meaning, hey, let me open up this internal browser tab about seven layer cake, and then you say, no, 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 hold on a second. You little red X, boom, click it out. No, no, we're not. No, we're not. Okay, yeah. What's the source of that impulse? The, imp the source of the impulse is the animal soul. The animal soul is generating these, or making bids, let's call them. The animal soul is making bids Hey, could I use the three garments today? Maybe one of them for just a minute. And our response continuously, if 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 we're a Bainani, is uh, no, 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 no. But the animal soul is going to keep making bids for the use of the garments, and those bids will manifest as impulses. The impulse, having the impulse, does not make him a Rosha. How he responds to the impulse consistently, that's what makes him a Bainini. It's not easy to be a Bainini. No. It's constantly battling. Yeah. But it's, it's, that's, a, that's such a difference between the Chokhmah and the Das. 
You're asking <clears throat> what if the focus thought is called Das and the impulse for it is called Chochma? Is that what you're saying? Right. Sort of. Um, maybe. <laughs> maybe. That's, I, I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm having a, um, a question or thought about okay. the Achrei HaTfila. Mm -hmm. So technically, on Yom Kippur, yeah. if you're in shul all day, right. you're either and you're being sealed, right. there is no such thing as a Benoni? Because you're during the davening, not Achrei So you're making the mistake that you're equating standing in shul with davening. No, you don't know where your brain is. <laughs> you're equating... Being in shul with a sitter open in front of you to davening. It doesn't mean you're davening. No, let's say you are davening. Whatever you're you equating to... reading the words from a Jewish prayer book with davening. That's not davening. Davening is, it, it, it is, an, is an alternate state of consciousness. When we're saying the Benny is davening, we don't mean he's got this magic Harry Potter spell book that he opens called a siddur, and he says, and then the Yitzhah goes away. Are they connecting? What we're talking about is real davening. When Benny is davening, he's in an alternate state of consciousness. So why can't that be on Yom Kippur? He can, why not? Okay, so you're saying that there's either a tzaddik or a rasha. If he's davening, on Yom Kippur, which is a nice thing to do on Yom Kippur, then he surely will not feel hungry. Right. I'm just remarking that okay, it's possible so that a person... Okay, the layer cake, but what about everything else? I mean, other temptations? If he's davening, meaning not reading words from a Jewish prayer book, actually in that alternate state of consciousness, then he will have no distractions whatsoever for anything that is not Torah Mitzvah. During that time. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Rabbi, yeah. The Coptic. Isn't that in all of us all the time? Isn't that in all of us all the time? Yeah. Well, in chapter 10, we learned that there are people who do not have that conflict. They're called Sadiqim. Okay. Also, I might remark that. In chapter 11, we learned about the Russia, and if you're comfortable being a Russia, you also don't have a conflict. <laughs> Just let yourself go to hell. You also don't have a conflict. <laughs> right, right. The Russia Verale has no conflict. Yeah, yeah. The Russia Vatevle, the regular Russia. Yeah, it says he's full of regret. He's always remorseful. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he has the conflict, and he feels bad about his mismanagement of it. I don't know. I... <laughs> okay. Okay. So let's continue here. I think we could probably finish Chapter 12 today. That would be nice. <clears throat> All right. So after davening... It is entirely likely that he will again be beset with all types of unwholesome urges. However, the leftover remnants from the davening remain in his brain. And the fear of Hashem and the love of Hashem that's hidden in the right ventricle of the heart and that's going to help him. It's going to help him overcome this negativity that is lusting right now. And it's not going to allow the desire to come out as a an actual garment, as an actual behavior or mode of expression. <clears throat> It won't allow, meaning the, the leftover remnants of love and awe of Hashem will be strong enough that it won't even let the urges to express themselves only in his mind. 
he will not allow himself to engage willfully in fantasizing about these these sins. Here he spells it out much more clearly what we were talking about yesterday, the difference between the impulse for thought and an actual full-fledged willful thought. Here he says, He will not willingly, God forbid, accept this evil thought, which is spontaneously rising up to his brain from his heart, as mentioned earlier. In other words, he makes a few points. This impulse is spontaneously rising up from his heart to his brain. He didn't summon it. It's not willful. It just, it's just it's a, it's burping. It's just a, it's a burp, okay? And he will not willingly accept it. So therefore, he's still a bainani. Will he not have the burp? Or what we called last week in the Rebzev uh, from Jutomer's story, the knock at the door. Will he have no knock at the door? Sorry, he's not so lucky. He will have the knock at the door. He can't control the knock. The knock is the knock. Who do you open it for? That's where your free will begins. So <clears throat> he will definitely have the pop-ups. He'll have those urges, but he will not allow them to express themselves. Yeah. But he's always having conflict when he chooses the good side. Yeah. So what causes the knock for him that's what you just asked. Where where are the negative urges arising from? What did we say? From the animal soul. Does that make sense? It makes Remember earlier we said that he has dominion on the level of soul garments, but not mahusava atmosa. And I said, what's mahusava atmosa? The inner workings of the soul. Meaning it's seichel and midas, it's it's intellect and it's emotions. So on the level of intellect and emotions, he's got two functioning sets, diametrically opposed, might I add, two functioning uh, sets of perspectives and emotions, animal soul and godly soul. And there's the conflict. However, on the level of behavior, what we call soul garments, then there's there's perfection. Okay. Okay, so the, the urges will most certainly arise to his mind. But immediately when it rises up, immediately when he feels himself have to burp, he pushes it with two hands and he averts his mind from it. Okay, so don't burp in my face. Okay, you know that you're about to burp. Don't burp in my face. I'm sorry. You, you do have impulse control. So the same thing. Can you control the fact that the the animal soul says, hey, I got something we can think about. Hey, he's knocking at the door. No, you can't control that fact. But did you have to open it? No, you didn't have to open the door. And you didn't have to tell the guy, oh, come on in. Talk to me about uh, whatever it is you want to sell me your encyclopedias or your religion or whatever. Like, no, I'm not opening the door for you. She's constantly being sent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that's his condition. His condition is uh, one of constant conflict. Unless he's in that real state those of davening. Are, those are many people fall, fall, fall I wish I wish that many people did, but remember what the, what characterizes the bainini is not the presence of the conflict, but his perfect management of it. So we know that the brain rules over the heart. Yeah. Is there a corresponding right and left ventricle for the brain? I know. No, it's the brain is all brain. In the heart, you have right and left, and the right side is on the side with the brain. The brain is all brain. Brain, The brain is good. The brain is clarity. There's nothing in the brain that could be problematic. Un, not, well, unless you allow the left ventricle to hijack the brain and turn it into a machine for rationalizing the things that you already wanted to do. But innately, no, the brain is, is clarity. Yeah. Um, is, it, is it known how it also came with the, the, um, the, the we spoke about that earlier. I'm not, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like to get into this stuff because especially modern people go crazy about it. And I said it has to oxygenate, oxygenated blood and not, not I, I don't, okay, whatever. It doesn't matter. Don't worry about right and left. I want to, okay, let's, guys, I have a very burning desire to finish this chapter. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, everyone gets the main idea here. Okay. Inward. Conflict. Outward perfection. Okay, so you got that point. All right. All right. Um, yeah. 
and you oh, oh and, and and you got the idea the distinction about the impulse for thought and actual thought i know that's a tricky concept some sometimes people have to go through tiny many times before they get that distinction because it's funny because a thought is abstract it's not physical it's not tangible and the impulse for thought is also abstract so we lump them together as if they're one and the same but i just want to make sure that this is a clear distinction that the impulse to have a thought is not the same as actually entertaining that thought or like last week when i spoke about thinking about and thinking of thinking of is an impulse thinking about is an activity that you've chosen to to actively be involved in. okay fine let's continue um <clears throat> so he doesn't willingly accept it and immediately when it arises to his mind, he pushes it away with two hands. He averts his mind from it. Immediately when he recognize it, recognizes it as being a negative thought. He will not willingly accept it, which implies that sometimes unwillingly he's going to struggle and have to push because it's really knocking loud, but he won't willingly accept it. Not even to fantasize about it again he says willingly willingly sometimes i want to make it clear because i i don't want there to be any misunderstanding it's obvious that the battle line with thought is murkier than the battle line with action because with action it's very binary either you did it or you didn't with thought it's much harder to pin down whether I'm actively thinking or it's just trying to get me to think. All right. But everyone can be their own judge and everyone can be honest in their own heart and know when this was something you were struggling against and when it's something you just gave in. You said, ah, what the heck? What does it hurt? It's just, just fantasizing. I'm not really doing it. Okay. <clears throat> so he will not... <clears throat> Accept it willingly. How much more so? It would never, it would never occur to him to actually do it. And he wouldn't say it if it's a type of thing that's prohibited speech. Because I'm sorry to tell you, if you willingly, and again, I'm stressing that word, willingly, willingly fantasizing, is a Russia, yeah, yeah, yeah. Vabainani, but a Bainani ain't a Russia Philoshoachaswalem. He's not a Russia for even one moment. All right, now we have just a few more lines. So far, <clears throat> we've been discussing the Bainani in terms that could be understood as being purely religious. But the Alter Rebbe now makes clear the last few lines of Perik Yud Base of chapter 12 that the Bainini's impulse control, his perfect impulse control, is not only in the area of Bain Adam Lamakim in duties between man and God, but also Bain Adam Lechaveray in interpersonal relationships, which may be even harder. That was my commentary, which may be even harder. Let's continue and finish chapter 12. <laughs> okay. V'chein b'dvarim shebein adam l'chaveirai. So too, everything we've been saying applies <clears throat> to matters between one person and another. Miyad, immediately. She'el eloi mehalev l'mayach. Ezetina v'sinech has v'shalom. When it arises from his heart to his brain, meaning when the animal soul is making a bid and saying, hey, we hate this guy, remember? Immediately when that emotion of, of contentiousness arises to the brain and says, hey, let's either do or speak or think badly about this guy. <clears throat> or jealousy, or anger, or uh, or grudge. 
Yes, those impulses will come. He's not a tzaddik. A tzaddik wouldn't even have that impulse. A bainini will have the impulse. The bainini will see the guy and uh, he'll think to himself, oh, I hate this guy. Yeah, I remember that. But then immediately when he registers, oh, that's a bid from the animal soul. No, we're not accepting that. And he rejects it. He will not at all accept them in his brain and in his will. Now, he may be, I want to make it very clear, he may be constantly beset by these bids. The animal soul may constantly say, no, we do hate him. Don't remember, we do hate him. And it doesn't shut up about it. So I don't want you to think that all you have to do is ignore the knock once and it goes away forever. It may continue to come back and say, no, no, but we hate him, but we hate him, but we hate him. And each time you say, I'm sorry, that's not something that I'm entertaining on a willful level right now. I understand that on a, on a subconscious level, those feelings are there and they are what they are, but I'm not going to allow this to translate into my three soul garments, thought, speech, or action. And in fact, not only am I not accepting this impulse of anger or jealousy or grudge or any of this stuff, but to the contrary, the Adrabah, to the contrary, the brain rules over the spirit in his heart to make him do the very opposite. Yes, I'm a human being. I'm not an animal. I'm not an animal. I can force myself not only to ignore or dismiss an impulse, I can actually override it to the extent where I can choose a behavior that is the very opposite from the impulse. You can treat this guy with kindness. The guy who your lizard brain told you to hate, your uh, prefrontal cortex tells you, no, be nice. And I want to add, by the way, I said this a couple of weeks ago. People were asking because we were speaking with the Rosh Hashanah, who people wanted to call the sociopath or something. And I said, just be safe. And I'm going to add this again. Even be safe. Even when you're applying these words of Tanya, please be safe. In other words, obviously, we don't want to have any ill will toward anyone. We wish everyone well, even the people who have done us harm. For sure. We don't need... They say carrying a grudge is like drinking poison and waiting for the other guy to drop dead. Okay, we don't, we don't need this in our hearts. We don't need any ill will. So that's for sure. But I do want to men mention to people, be safe. Because some people, while you're being kind to them, they'll stab you again. So I'm just saying, please be safe. But if it's safe, then 100%, not only should you not get even with somebody who did you wrong, but you should be kind to them. If it's safe. Again, did I say if it's safe 10 times? Yeah. Did I make it clear? So nobody can come to me later unless they really enjoy that. Some people enjoy misunderstanding things and then coming and then being heartbroken about it. Like, it's easier to be mad at me for giving a class than it is to be mad at the person who actually ruined your life. So then you can come to me later and say that I misrepresented an idea and told you to be re-victimized by an unsafe person. So if you're into that, I'll play along with you after class. No problem. But, okay. For my part, I want to make it very clear. Do this when it's safe. Okay, fine. Thank you. All right. So treat this bad guy with kindness. Actually, with excessive affection. To endure, to tolerate to an extreme amount all types of garbage. Put up with the garbage. Again if it's safe okay but if it's if it is, if it is safe and it's just a matter it's just a matter of it causing you uh annoyance then the alternative says 100% put up with the garbage just absorb it just just eat it it's fine don't get mad at him don't get even with him don't pay him back to the country, you should pay those who are, means they are indebted, they're obligated, meaning they're, uh, they did bad stuff. 
they have a comeuppance due to them. And instead, what should you do? You should treat, <clears throat> reward them as if they did a mitzvah. You should, the, the guy who messed you over, treat him as if he was your best friend and just did you the, the biggest favor in the world. Again, if it's safe. <clears throat> what? The if it's safe part? I'm adding the if it's safe so nobody will come. I'll read it again inside. Don't get mad at him. Don't get back at him. To the contrary, do good to someone who's undeserving. Where's this wording from? This is from the Gemal Bracha. When, when we survive a life-threatening uh, situation, we make a Bracha. Hashem is Gemal Lechayovim Tevis. We say, Hashem treats us. We don't deserve the kindness Hashem did for us. We, God forbid, we deserve punishment, and he's giving us kindness. So we thank Hashem. Hashem, you're rewarding us as if we did something good when we actually did stuff. You could be punishing us. If you want to go strict letter of the law, Hashem, you could be punishing us right now. Instead of punishing us, you're rewarding us. So we want to be the same as Hashem. And that even when there's a person who, on paper, by all rights, they deserve a punishment, and we want to say, no, not only we don't want to punish them, <clears throat> we're going to reward them. What well, doesn't hurt you? doesn't hurt you. He says, this is a bainani. This is a spiritually healthy person, is that you treat people who deserve punishment, you, you give, them a, give them a piece of cake. Yeah? It's not fake. Why is it checker? Because if I, if, if somebody wrongs me, right, maybe that, it's like, yeah. it's like, it's like, in a global way, like we have a, a leader who's absolutely off the wall, okay, and he says, okay, so I'm going to treat him kindly, I'm going to say, here, let's take to do some more. Yes. He's elderly. You don't see that. Okay, first of all, I always love the questions where people are watching, are clearly watching too much news and bringing it into time. Okay. I Okay, so anyways, <laughs> please, <laughs> let's keep this person. Right, if somebody harms my child or harms me, yeah. more even my child. Okay, that's the worst thing someone could do. Okay. Worst thing. Correct. Right. right. Well, yeah. so now I'm going to treat them with kindness. I'm going to, like, oh, you're such a good teacher. You're an amazing human being. I love you. You're just, you know, let me go and buy, let me go and buy your gift. You're so good. So, again, I want to stress what I said, if it's safe. You know, sometimes there are dangerous people. See, it's funny, the Altadeva doesn't get into this. I think maybe intuitively people understood this in the past. But I think in 2022, we don't know how to do both. Sometimes there are dangerous people who have to be stopped. And the only way to stop them is more than distancing yourself is to take more than just cutting contact, sometimes to take action. <clears throat> There's somebody who's hurting people, and the only way to take them down is to take them down. Right, yeah. Right. Right. That's, but that's, that's a totally different thing. It's a totally different thing. There are two different considerations. One is my personal reaction, my personal feeling. The Altadev is saying, get over it. Okay. Have okay. no hatred and have love. And after I put you in prison, I'll visit you and bring you a cake. <laughs> okay? Okay? Then there's another thing, which is practicality. You have someone who's a danger, so either protect yourself, no contact, or if you have to take them down, take them down. That's a separate thing. I think it's funny that people in the modern world it's like we mush these two together and we're like, oh, so that's why I said 20 times, if it's safe, it's if it's safe, because we, we, we conflate the two and we think that being loving and kind and, 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 and forgiving means that we're also being reckless and not dealing with danger the way we need to deal with it. That's what he's saying. You, you, you think about things really carefully, and when you do act, you do it in a... 
Yeah, Mayach Shalalev. That's what it is. Mayach Shalalev isn't just to get yourself to keep Shabbos or put on tefillin or eat kosher. Mayach Shalalev. Here he's saying is when you have a visceral reaction to somebody, yeah. curb that reaction. Act like you're saying, not reactively, but proactively. And again, I make the disclaimer a hundred million times. You have to be safe, and you have to keep other people safe. And but that's a totally separate thing. Okay, let's just finish off the last line here. So he says, to the contrary, be nice to someone who doesn't deserve it. like the Holy Zayar says, im Learn from Yosef's treatment to his brothers. He could have said to them, "I'm going to do to you now." What you tried to do to me, I'm going to put you through the hell that you put me through. But instead, he said, hey, guys, I'm going to set you up in a nice nice neighborhood in uh, in Goshen, and we're going to take care of you, and I've got connections. I'm the viceroy, and everything's going to be nice. Okay. Okay, end of chapter 12.